you know, you think of seven years of heartache, struggle, working hard to fall down in one minute. It's such a waste. Hello and welcome to Bench, the sports podcast that takes you from parts unknown through the corridor of uncertainty and into the red zone of sporting knowledge, bringing you stories that are inspiring, harrowing and downright absurd. Meet Kwame Nkrumah at A Calgary head of the Jamaican bobsled team, Vancouver has the Snow Leopard. Just six years after taking to the artificial slopes of an indoor British ski centre. African nations hardly have a rich history of participating in winter sports, but in 2010, at the Vancouver Winter Olympics, Kwame took to the slopes in a fantastic spandex outfit, and we dubbed him the Snow Leopard. His story will likely become one of the best known and most told at the Vancouver Games. Look for the Snow Leopard in both the giant slalom and slalom races in Whistler later this month. Kwame was portrayed by most in media as an African Eddie the Eagle, who was there as a sort of cool-running 2.0 comedy figure. But actually, it's quite reductive. Crying was then not just to smile and rub shoulders with everyone, but to compete and to herald in a new era of African countries taking winter sports more seriously. My name is Karl Anker. I'm a journalist, broadcaster and sports writer. And I'm here today to bring you the story of Kwame Achapong, also known as the Snow Leopard. I have Kwame with me right now. How are you doing? Huh? Fine, thank you. Or oh, I should be saying Etisen. Ah, uh, yeah. To Ghanaian, to Ghanaian. How did this come about? Well, I think it all started with a, a bet that I couldn't become a good skier and then another bet that I couldn't ever qualify for the Olympics. So that's <laughs> how it all started. The first bet was with a ski instructor at Snow Zone, Escape Milton Kings. He kept on going on and on about how skiing was a really tough sport. To become an instructor like what he was was very difficult. And I told him, look, any monkey could really learn how to <laughs> To ski, it's just that you have to be dedicated. You got to be physically fit. You got to have good balance, and you can do it. So it took me thirty minutes to learn how to ski. Thirty minutes. Thirty minutes. That is not normal. Right? No, it's it's normal. I've had a couple of dry slope sessions. I would say thirty minutes. You are a uh, well, you're an Olympic athlete. So yeah, you need good balance. Yes. Physically fit. Yes. And you must be able to bottle up fear. If you can do those three things, you can do a lot. I've been to Milton Keynes quite often. I know they've got a particularly good power league. So, you know, there's a big football scene there. Daddy yeah. Alley, Jack Grealish. They have football players that have history in Milton Keynes. Yeah. But uh, why skiing above everything else? Well, in in college, secondary school, I did a lot of sports. Okay. Everything. So 100 meters, cross country, everything. I competed for my my school. In Ghana, I did the West African Games. It's like... Different countries in West Africa come mm-hmm. together and they compete. So I did four by 100 meters and lawn tennis at the West African Games. And I think I did volleyball and basketball as well. So coming back to the UK, I actually got trials at Chelsea and Fulham okay. for football. All right then, good. <laughs> and I didn't turn up for the trials. Why not? I was working, so it was a choice between go to work or go for these trials. And if you go for the trials and you don't get in, you lose your job. I always regret that, but... Skiing, I, I, you know, I saw skiing on TV and it looked like a really cool thing, the speed these guys get up to. So to find myself in a ski center mm-hmm. and it's free and I try it and I find it fun. I mean, when I started skiing, I was doing more of tricks. So more of like 360s, uh, doing rails, pipes, 
you've learned how to ski in half an hour. And then within, what, how many weeks are you doing tricks? Uh, I think about three months after that. Okay, I, w- I want you to understand how absurd this is. Well, I, I'm competitive. Okay. I, I wasn't built strong. Uh, I, my mother is asthmatic, so we, the guys, we all got that from her. But I love sports, so mm-hmm. I try. And I hate losing. After three months, I was doing those tricks and stuff. And then one day I picked up a pair of skis and went in for a race just to see how I'll do in the race. And I did quite well. I think I was in the top 10 of my category. And there was a Bulgarian race coach then who asked me, have I ever thought about actually racing, you know, competitively? And I said, well, I'll have a go and see. It's always good to have a go. What was your coach's name? Uh, Kiro. You know, the Milton Kings racing, you have these kind of indoor races. So I put myself into a category and I was competing in that category and getting better and better at the races. And you you enter into a race and you see all these guys with fancy stuff. And I have rental skis and usually I'll borrow the shin pads and stuff from someone, use it for my race and hand it back to that person. So I just kept on getting better at it. What is it like on race day when you're rocking up in rental skis? People find it funny until I go into the first run. And after the first run, they realize that, look at his time Mm -hmm. on rental skis because I'll prepare the rental skis myself. I'll wax them. I'll do the edges. I'll get someone to help me do the edges. I think I was kind of relying on just brute strength to get through each race. So not much skill. And I'll come fourth, sixth, seventh. It wasn't bad. It's transferring your indoor ski skills onto a real mountain. That was the next hurdle. And to do that, very expensive because you got to buy the flights, the equipment and all that. So I decided to put out a press release that I wanted to try for the Olympics. So I went to my local newspaper, the MK Citizen. He put it out. I can't remember the journalist. He put it out, but he put the name Snow Leopard into that release. That This chap is as rare as a snow leopard. And the next day, ITV, BBC, boom, boom. And before I knew it, roller coaster press, crazy thing going on. I couldn't get rid of the snow leopard after that. Did you ever think of having a different nickname when you turn up on race meets on the track? Uh, I didn't think I should have any nickname uh, because I had to earn my place in the ski world. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the first time I went out on a mountain, there was um, a company called Basecamp Group that I met at, um, you know, there's this show at Elscott. And I went there to try and look for sponsors with a friend of mine, uh, Dave Jacobs. And Basecamp guys were like, this is a really cool story. If you can actually prove to us that you can ski, we will give you a season out in Maribel. So my job was to try and get out to France during the uh, Val d'Isere World Cup race mm-hmm. because base camp was going to be there. And my job was to ski from the top to the bottom of the slope. Now, base camp organized um, Ski Sunday to film the whole thing. And I was told if I fall, then no sponsorship deal. If I can stand all the way from the top to the bottom, then a sponsorship deal. But I had to ski with Graham Bell, an ex-British Olympian. So this guy started off on the top skiing like a madman. And my job was to like kind of keep up with him. You're skiing down a mountain after a year, maybe a year mm, and a half? Six to seven months of skiing indoors. So not even a year of skiing indoors. It's the basic skills you learn indoors 
You just have to do the same. I always tell people that, you know, people tell me, oh, that's a black run. That's a double black. To me, it's all white ski slopes. There's no difference. You're just taking every step as it comes. Yeah, because I, I, I kind of ski faster when it's really steep because I want to get out of there quickly. Okay. So so I, I managed to keep up with him. So I got my season sponsorship from them. Okay. So then I had to quit my job to go full-time skiing. I was managing an indoor um, ice hockey stadium, um, MK Ice Hockey Rink. I was the manager then. And I just went up to the management or the owners and said, look, I need to quit because I'm going skiing. <laughs> how, how are you managers when they receive that news? People think you're crazy. You know, you leave a good job to go become relatively, in quote, a ski bum. A ski bum? <laughs> yeah. So I basically built a network of potential sponsors, starting off with Basecamp. Then I sit down every day and I do a lot of emailing. Then I get level coming back to me. That, okay, we'll give you gloves. Then I get Osby coming back to me. We'll give you helmets. I actually went, drove to the EasyJet offices in Luton, went to the reception, and I told the lady there that I was trying to get to the Olympics. I wanted to find out if EasyJet will sponsor me. And they were like, EasyJet doesn't do stuff like that. But the next day, someone from EasyJet actually came all the way from Luton to Milton Kings to look for me because... A lot of athletes don't understand that to get sponsorship, companies want something. They want visibility. Mm -hmm. So make yourself the biggest billboard out there and the sponsors will come looking for you. So I was on ITV, nearly all the TV channels within a day. And EasyJet goes like, damn, this guy is really making some headway media wise. So they approached me and went like, would you want any sponsorship? And I went like, yeah, I want to be able to fly on your whole network for free. So I got a three-year sponsorship deal from EasyJet. No limit on my luggage. <laughs> <laughs> you had to go out and get these sponsorships because it's very hard to get it unless you're attached to a team. Obviously, the problem with skiing from a West African country is there was no ski federation for Ghana at the time. So yeah. how did you create the Ghana Ski Federation? Well, to get a, a FIS license, that is a World Ski Federation license, you need to belong to an association or a federation. So I sent emails, as usual, to the World Ski Federation and went like, this is what I want to do. How should I go about doing it? And we're like, you've got to have a ski federation, blah, 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 blah. So I took a flight to Ghana. I went to speak to the Olympic Committee and the Sports Council and the Sports Ministers. And they were not really interested in because skiing is not a sport in Ghana. So I said, look, I don't need any money from you guys. All I need is just a permission to go ahead and do this. They're like, okay, so you write all the letters, etc. We endorse it. You go do whatever you want to do. And if you qualify, come and talk to us. <laughs> so that was it. Again, just asked very nicely. If you don't try, you never know. Mm -hmm. You know, I always tell people that, look, in maybe every one square kilometer of space in London, there is a potential Olympian. You know Greg Rutherford? Yep. Okay. He used to work at Milton King's Indoor Ski Center. He was one of my staff when I was a manager there. And I was an Olympian and Greg actually sent me a message and went like, wow, you made it. I'm also working on it. I think I'm also going to make it. I went like, go for it, Greg. Greg's a Team GB actual Olympic gold. gold medal winner. Bingo. You just gotta, you gotta try. You gotta try. Uh, also, you got to go work in Milton Keynes Indoor Centre, apparently. Yeah, that that's seems the place. To be, <laughs> that seems to be the new hotbed of a, a sport. So my aim was to try and qualify for Torino. 
My first race was in Val Thorens in France, and that day it was snowing. And I think we were about 150, only 50 finished. So just massive crashes. So when I finished the race, all the racers stood there and they started clapping. Because that was my first race. Your first race in yeah. the snow in in a year, a year and a half. Yeah. Someone, one of the racers actually came up and asked me what I was doing there. And I went like, well, I'm also here to race. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he asked me, do I see what is happening to the other guys? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to take it easy. I'm not going to push too much. I just have to finish, that's all. So by Torino, I think I was either 80-something points off the qualification of 40-something. But I couldn't get down fast enough for Torino. So... I was just there to watch. And then after that, the decision was, do I carry on or I give up? Because I tried, couldn't do it. And I sat with my wife and told her what's happening. And she was like, you've already spent two kind of years of your life trying for this. Do you think you have it in you to do another four years and make it? And I went like, look, I was this close. Maybe if I push a little bit more. I could just get it. And all the sponsors also were like, you got that close, we're not going to give up on you. Try again. I've had, I think, four really bad crashes. Two of them, my skis exploded. Once it happened in Italy, I was skiing really fast, I think my left ski exploded. The binding just exploded. So, so it's separating from yeah, your boot? Yeah, it, it just blows up from the ski. Okay. And the ski leaves you, the binding, bits and pieces fly off. And on my right-hand side, there's like um, a sheer drop, but they had a net in there. So in case something happens, the net is there. So I went from ski slope, flew up about 10 feet into the air, and the netting caught me. And they threw me back onto the slope. And then the coaches asked me, are you okay? And I'm like, do you really think I'm okay? <laughs> my mother always says, why skiing? Why not something else? Why don't you, you're good at so many sports. Why don't you do any of those? And I said, well, skiing is unique. It's different. So why not do the different thing? My mom, who is also gone in, has uh, very similar views on skiing. She exactly. does not understand why you'd spend all that money to fall down a mountain tied to a piece of wood. I went for a race somewhere in Italy and there was some, an Austrian team had come to race as well. And they were talking to me. So at the end of the race, I'd beaten, I think, about half of that that group. And the coach made one of the racers come over to congratulate me as a lesson to him not to allow an African to beat him <laughs> at skiing because they were coming from Austria. That's one of the strong houses of skiing. And there's a website, it's, well, it's called the White Supremacist something. Mm-hmm. And on it, the guy typed, Africans can play chess, how much more skiing? And some races, uh, when I go to a race, you somebody comes up to you and actually asks you, I mean, you came from Africa where you chase lions, etc. How do you, how do you move from there over here? And I go like, look, guys, I was born in Scotland. <laughs> I understand what snow is as well. Maybe I didn't live in Scotland. I was born there, taken away from there when I was about one year old. But I've had a good education and I know what snow sports and skiing is all about. Did you think that affected you at any point in time? So, you know, yeah. it, it, can, it can be hard being the the only black person in the place. Yeah, sometimes it affects me negatively for a few hours. And then I take from that and reinforce myself 
to go to the next level. So somebody comes and goes like, well, why are you here? I'm like, I'm here to race. And my mind is like, okay, you're number 45. I'm going to make sure I'm going to beat you. You're either going to fall out, you're going to make a mistake, and I'm going to beat you. And when I finish beating you, I'll let you know I beat you. Let's talk about Vancouver. So you're, you've got your ski federation. You started that from scratch. Did you know of the impact things were going on in Ghana? Were, do you think they were aware of what you were doing once they signed all the papers? Yep. Once I qualified for the Olympics, then everything went mad. So in Ghana, DSTV, which is like the equivalent of Sky Network, was running adverts, Africa going to the Winter Olympics. And there was a Kenyan going to do cross-country. And I think somebody from Algeria as well doing cross-country. So in Ghana, people were beginning to know that there's this guy who is called the Snow Leopard, who is on CNN, he's on every network. So when I went to visit Ghana just prior to going for the Winter Olympics, I was recognized on the streets. So people will go like, you are the guy who is... I'm like, yep, I'm the guy. <laughs> and so I go on TV and after the TV programs, we put out a phone number for people interested in finding out about the Ghana ski team. And that phone will just ring till 12 midnight. It, until we put it off, it just keeps ringing. I mean, at, at the Vancouver Olympics, we had a radio station from Cambodia call us for an interview. <laughs> you know, for like a month, we went to Ghana for I think two weeks to a month trying to let people know about skiing, etc. We had a bit of a program to try and find young people who could learn how to ski. So we took um, grass skis. You can ski on grass, sand, snow. You can ski on your artificial um, carpet material. So we took some grass skis out and we had some kids have fun, you know, skiing in so Ghana. You rock up in Vancouver. You're the only representative from Ghana. It's you waving our fantastic flag. Yeah. When you're going to sleep in the Olympic Village... What's going through your mind? Don't fall down on race day. Don't, <laughs> every day was like, don't fall down on race day. Don't fall down on race day. Because, you know, you think of seven years of heartache, struggle, working hard to fall down in one minute. It's such a waste. So even though I knew I could go faster than what I did, my coach came up to me and went like, look, the world champion has fallen down. A few others have fallen down. We are down to only about 60 people. So don't go and fall down. Just make it to the end and you can say you beat the world champion. So you're, you're, going, you're going there to just complete? No, I actually had a press conference and they said, oh, so you're just here to be part of the Olympics and have fun. I went like, no, I just don't want to be last. Somebody else has to be last. Take me through this race. It's Vancouver, it's 2010. Yeah, it's one of the worst ski slopes anybody had been on to the extent that they had to lower down the start gate because the snow had become really bad. It was kind of warm. It had rained. And this is the thing about ski racing. People who watch at home think it's snow. It's not snow. It's an ice cube we are on. Okay. They bring out a water hydrant, and they are going to water down the slope from the top to the bottom. So you get rock hard, and it's really icy. It allows you to really put the skis on the edges because if you don't put the skis on the edges, what happens is you just slide out of the slope. So if you watch ski racing, the moment you go one meter out of the track, you start hitting the soft stuff and you have a massive accident that breaks your legs. So you want to keep in that track. So on that day, we were not really allowed to do the normal type of inspection because all the snow was being eaten away. And he put some gates that were really confusing. So all the teams were gathered around that part of the slope to figure out the best way to go through it. Now, 
we're trying to figure it out. So we're standing and listening to the top guys, what we're saying. This is a problem with skiing. You have to memorize the whole course. So you've got about 50 something gates. You need to have them locked in your mind. You can't get to a point in the slope and start thinking, or oh, should I go right or should I go left here? You should know by the time you get there. You're coming fast and all you're doing is right, left, right, left, right, left. So you see ski racers before the ski race trying to close their eyes and trying to retrace the steps you're going to take to get to the bottom. So I was at the top and I was looking at all these cup skiers. You know, these are the guys you watch on TV on Ski Sunday. And they're actually standing right in front of you. Some of them are coming up to you and going like, best of luck. And one of the the, the Torino Gold Olympic um, giant slalom uh, racer from USA was my friend, Ted Ligeti. So he came over to me and went like, man, I wish you all the best. And you're thinking to yourself, do you really deserve to be here? These are the giants of skiing. And, you know, you get into the gate, you know, the countdown is going Racer number one, racer number two, racer number 30, and you see it's getting closer to you. And then your coach comes to you and goes like, start your warm-up. The countdown starts. You hear the beep, 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 beep. Then you hear 10, 9. You, you got to go. Because if it gets to one, you're disqualified. So I go out of the gate. And I think the first five gates, I ask myself, have I made a mistake? Am I out or something? And as I get to the last pitch of the slope, you hear the roar from down. I mean, the place is packed and you just hear this, you know, people roaring. And then you feel like I just have to get to the end. Five more, five more. And it's five done. More. And when I got to the end, it was like, man, pressure off. But I had to wait for the run number two. The pressure goes down after first run. You have about, I think, an hour to two hours to go. Prepare yourself. Come back. I was a bit more relieved because I was like, well, hey. People have seen me ski. They know I can ski. I'm not some useless guy who cannot really ski. So now the second run, if I really fall down, it's not a big deal. But my whole team was begging me not to do what I was going to do. I should just follow the game plan. What yeah. was it you wanted to do? I wanted to ski fast. I wanted to ski like how I had skied in training in Val di Fiemme because when back in Val di Fiemme in Italy, there was a new slope that was given to us. And was really steep. When I'm talking about steep, I'm talking like mega steep. So I knew I could ski faster because this slope wasn't as steep as that one. It's just that it was bad snow, rutted. And my coach was like, forget about it now. It's just finished. That's all we want you to do. But you stood firm. You went to the game yeah, plan. I, I stuck to the game plan because at the end of the day, it wasn't purely about me. It was about a bunch of guys who had given up a lot of their time to help me prepare for the Olympics. I, I was going to kind of let them down if I fell out. And when I got down, I was not crying, but my team guys were crying. My manager was, he was crying like a little baby. And I said, what's wrong? And I'm like, he, he's just happy. I'm like, what are you happy about? I said, all oh, the stress is off now. Yeah, this is the end of your seven-year odyssey. Yeah, but he, I should have been crying on him. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you placed... In the top 50? Top 55. Yeah. Well, so only 55 people made it to the bottom out of 130-something. Which is remarkable. Yeah, but they were falling down. They were pushing too hard, I think, and crashing. And Carbon, you make it sound so easy. If, if the hit rate is only 30% of the people finish. It's, it's tough because slalom is one of those very technical, you know, uh, races where an error, you're ejected out of the race course. So you're top 55. You're taking uh, an Olympic gold medalist with you to Ghana. 
to to start a new movement of skiing in Ghana yeah. afterwards. And then what happens next? So I promised the world that in 2020 we would have a squad of new snow leopards, cubs as well. <laughs> and it's been something I've been working on in terms of trying to get back that sponsorship package that helped me get to the Olympics. The good news is I've managed to get in contact with two Ghanaians. One is half German, Felix, and another chap who is in Switzerland. And one, the guy in Switzerland actually tried to qualify for the last Olympics. He was about 45 points off the qualification. So he has the Olympic qualification somewhere inside him. My job now is to get them out to Italy. And I'm adding my daughter to it because my daughter started skiing when she was about four. And because I've been traveling up and down, she's not really carried on, but she has the build to be a skier. She's built like a brick house. <laughs> <laughs> she's solidly built. So we are going to... I've never seen a man refer to his daughter as a brick house before. No, she's like... <laughs> I am going in, so I'll say we are built to be strong and stocky. Yeah. So she has the muscle mass now to become a very good skier. Come on, one more question. What would you say to anyone interested in uh, picking up some skis at whatever age and going, yeah, I fancy qualifying for the Winter Olympics? Well, I think if you want to try to become an Olympian, you've got to look at yourself physically. Are you strong enough? Then you've got to look at family-wise. Have you got a network, your family network that can support you? It doesn't have to be support financially. It just has to be that kind of mental support. Well, Kwame, it's been a delight talking to you. I will see you next week when we can begin our training scheme. Good. Um, it looks as if I'm going to become a Winter Olympian now. Yeah, That's we, we, need, I am. we need to put some muscle on you. You, you look too skinny. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Benched was produced by Jake Warren, Sandra Ferrari, with additional research and help from Jake Otevich. Music was provided by Matt Huxley. If you want to hear more episodes of Bench, make sure you're subscribed to us from iTunes, Google, or wherever else you get your podcasts. That's all from me, Carl Anker. You can find me on Twitter at Anchorman616. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.